Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, hey, everybody. This is Bob Murphy. No, it's just a really tired Evan Roberts with another edition of Rico Bronya. I did do it. I did drive to Washington, D.C. on Wednesday morning. Arrived in time to watch the New York Mets take care of business and defeat the Washington Nationals and then turned around and drove back and then said, hey, Pete Hoffman, let's record Rico Bronya. So while you're probably listening to this Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, I would hope before the Atlanta series, we are recording this at one o'clock in the morning, literally minutes after my car pulled in after a long trip to D.C. And if you ask, is it worth it? Is it worth driving nine combined hours to watch a three-hour baseball game? The answer is very simple. The answer is, of course it's not. No, the answer is, oh, hell yeah. I mean, I got to watch Daniel Vogel back hit a grand slam. I got to watch Michael Givens make his Mets debut and literally put a, like, urinate all over the mound. I mean, that's... That's what I got. No, but but here's the truth, because I, I always want to be honest. I have a rule in life. My wife knows the rule. My son, Jet, knows the rule. Spence will learn the rule. He's my youngest son. And this rule was taught by my dad. And I was at this game with Jet, my oldest son, with my wife, and with my dad. And that rule is we don't leave games early. It's just not something we do. But as I've gotten older, I make rare exceptions. And the key word is rare exceptions to that rule. When you are in Washington, D.C., and you have a five-hour commute home and your team is up 9 nothing, that's one of those nights where you make an exception. So believe it or not, and boy, was I scared, right after the bottom of the eighth inning, we left. And I again, I don't do it often, but remember, 9 nothing, five-hour trip home. Working the next day. Craig and I are going to be on the air Thursday and Friday. It seemed like that was a an okay exception. Even my dad, who taught me the rule, you never leave early, gave me the nod of approval. And then we go in the car. I put on the MLB or the Odyssey app. I don't know how I was listening to the Met game. Let's just say Odyssey. <laughs> Either way, I'm listening to Howie Rose. I turn on the Met broadcast because, look, I can't take anything for granted. And as I'm listening to base hit, base hit, base hit, and the frustration in Howie Rose's voice, 
I never thought the Mets were going to lose the game. I never thought they were going to give up nine runs to the Washington Nationals. But it wasn't exactly the best timing for Michael Givens. He's the one reliever they added at the deadline. A very underwhelming deadline. Some people are panicking more than others. I am not giving you panic, but I'm disappointed with the lack of relievers that they added. I've made that clear. And here's the one guy that they add. And he can't even get through the ninth inning. Oh, but hey, he's been traveling a lot lately. Hey, that stress of getting that phone call, you're being traded to a contender. I'm not going to bury Michael Givens. I'm not. It's not the right thing to do. But I think we'd all agree it was a really, really bad first impression. And sometimes first impressions are the main impressions. So it wasn't the greatest car ride out of Washington, D.C. initially. But the Mets did win. And my record in Washington, D.C., I'd like to share it with everybody, is now 10-1. and one. That's right, 10-1 and one in Washington, D.C., believe it or not, watching the Mets take on the Washington Nationals. My man Pete Hoffman did a show right after the Yankee game. How was that show, by the way? I didn't hear it, but I, I'm sure it was good, right? Uh, I got a lot of uh, traction, let's say, and I got a bunch of people calling in and telling me to shut up because I was very <laughs> anti, uh, anti-Garrett Cole. Listen, he's not an ace. I'm sorry. Just It's breaking news. <laughs> oh, man. And, and and I did get my, my, my jab in. Um, I, I, I told, I said, Aaron Judge is having the greatest final season in pinstripes of all time. And that Look takes some people that that takes some people Look too. at you. By the way, and this is related to something I did think about the other night. I didn't mention it on the special Rico Bronya we put out the other day reacting to Jake's return and reacting to the trade deadline. But today, and maybe it was the car ride, maybe it was talking to my dad about the Mets, the state of the Mets. It was the first time I really gave thought to the idea of, wow, Jacob DeGrom's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And I'm pretty hard fast on this. Jacob DeGrom needs to finish his career as a New York Met. And despite any risk that you may feel in giving him $50 million a year, and that's probably what the price tag is, considering what Max Scherzer's making. And I know it's only one start. It's five innings, one run. Let's see what he does against Atlanta Sunday. Let's see if he could stay healthy. Which is really the key around Jake. Jake's awesome. Uh, I mean, this, the bad starts Garrett Cole has, and I, I'm not turning this into a knock on Garrett Cole. It's really a compliment of Jacob DeGrom. He doesn't have starts like that. He just doesn't. I mean, if you look back at the last few years, his worst starts are six innings, three runs. I mean, he just doesn't have bad starts. The big thing about Jake is staying healthy. But I did give it thought about how in an offseason, which I know we shouldn't worry about. I'm not going to spend that much time on it. I'm just giving you a thought I had. An offseason that features Edwin Diaz as a free agent and Brandon Nimmo as a free agent and all that. There is no world where I'd be okay with letting Jacob DeGrom walk. There's just no world. Uh, I was thinking, boy, th- it would actually hurt me more than the Nets trading Kevin Durant. Because with Kevin, it's, it's strictly business. It's strictly he gives me the best chance to win a championship, period, stop. With Jake, there's an emotional attachment. And this is a franchise that hasn't had a lot of guys who spent their entire career with one team. So I get the Aaron Judge jokes. I respect the Aaron Judge jokes. But there is a part of me that sort of worries or wonders. Maybe not even worries, but wonders. What the hell is Jacob DeGrom's free agency going to look like? Because it would devastate me as a diehard fan if Jacob DeGrom's pitching for any other baseball team. 
No, you're right. And the one thing I, I talked about that actually on the show too a little bit because we were looking through the numbers. I was looking through the numbers. Cole, and it's not, not about a Cole bashing, but in 22 starts, he's really only had, he had 14 quality starts. That's, that, that's good, but that's like 65%. Look at Max Scherzer. He's almost like 80% quality starts. DeGrom, same thing. And on the bad days that they don't get a quote-unquote quality start, they go five and two-thirds with one run. You know what I mean? So right. it's like their their outings, even their bad outings, aren't bad. You know, yeah. and they're just reliable. The, the the biggest knock on Jake, and to a degree Scherzer over the last few years, is their ability to make a start every five days. And I think the biggest compliment of Garrett Cole, not that I want to turn this into any serious discussion on Garrett Cole, we'll save it for the fan. And I, I've said this before, is that he goes out there and pitches every five days. Is he as good as Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom? No. And I don't think any Yankee fan or baseball fan would say he is, but he pitches. And the biggest knock or concern about Max and Jake over the last few years is certainly not their ability when they pitch. It's their availability. And that's going to be the biggest question, I think, of anything facing the Mets as they conclude this pennant race with Atlanta and head potentially to a postseason berth. And that's can they keep these two guys healthy? A couple of things on this series, a little bit on Mets Nationals, and we'll preview the Braves series coming up in a little bit. Number one, you go back to game one of this series, a game in which they won. They got a quality performance out of Max Scherzer. It kind of piggybacks on what you're talking about. You know, six and two-thirds, three runs, two earned. A day in which he's, you know, not dominant and really had to battle. I think it's one of those days where you appreciate a great pitcher because Max didn't have his best stuff. And you could tell from the early going. You know, he was not going to let Juan Soto beat him because at that time, Juan Soto was a national. <laughs> it feels like it was six months ago, but it was the opener of this series. Juan Soto got on base four times because Max Scherzer made a decision until the fourth inning. And at that point, he had a four to one lead. So he said, hey, I feel good. I'm not letting Juan Soto beat me. And he didn't. And because of that, it led to Josh Bell coming up and ripping that double. And obviously the Mets having the defensive miscue that they had. But I think what changed things, obviously, was offensively they were able to hit Patrick Corbin where everybody hits Patrick Corbin. My fan baseball team would hit Patrick Corbin. But it was a, a good performance by Max, mainly because they didn't have his best stuff. And that's what you want to see. That's what an ace does. They don't have their best stuff, and they still give you six and two-thirds, three runs. What I thought was really interesting from the opener of this series, and it becomes even more interesting after the trade deadline with the acquisition of Darren Ruff, was we saw Buck Showalter pinch it for J.D. Davis and go lefty-righty, as in I'm pinch hitting for J.D. with Daniel Vogelback in the fifth inning. Now, managing against the Nationals is very easy, and I don't mean that because they're a bad team. I mean it because they're predictable. They don't have a lefty in their bullpen. So when you have a straight-up lefty-righty platoon, and we could just change the name because obviously it ain't J.D. Davis anymore. It's Darren Ruff, Daniel Vogelbach, depending on who's pitching and which arm they use to pitch, it's much easier to manage in a straight platoon world when things are predictable. And the Nationals are predictable because when Corbin comes out of that game, there's not a lefty in that bullpen. Very few teams are like that. The Mets may end up like that because Joely Rodriguez stinks, but most teams, look at the Braves. Look at Atlanta coming up this weekend. They have a handful of lefties in their bullpen. And so the reason I bring this up is the New York Mets made a decision to lean into being a platoon team. 
And I'm going to give you some numbers that backs up or at least defends the idea that they're a platoon team. And that is Darren Ruff versus lefties and Daniel Vogelback versus righties. Because that's your DH. Barring a change in mind on Francisco Alvarez, and I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't see how it's going to happen anytime soon. Or a change of opinion on Mark Vientos. They're going to go, at least for the time being, with a straight platoon at DH between Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback. If you take Ruff's numbers against lefties and Vogelback's numbers against righties, and you combine them, you form the super platoon player. What do you want to call this guy? Vogelruff? Ruffleback? Whatever you want to combine these guys with, if you take the two of them and you combine them, because there are going to be very few instances in which Vogelbach is facing a lefty and Ruff is facing a righty, though it will become more complicated when you face teams with multiple lefties and multiple righties out of their bullpen, which the Nationals didn't have. Their combined numbers this season. I did some math. 262 average, okay. About a 900 OPS, because it's very difficult to do math with OPS, so I'm kind of giving you a rough estimate. 262 average, 900 OPS. By the way, a 900 OPS is a star. Like a 900 OPS is an all-star player. 22 home runs, 55 RBIs. Now, has J.D. Martinez produced that this year? Now, the answer is no, and I don't mean to pick on him. But the point is, in theory, okay, in theory, the Vogel Ruff platoon or the Ruffle back platoon, which one do you want to go with? Vogel Ruff or Ruffle back? Where do you want to go? I think Ruffle back sounds more, not, it's a little bit sexier. Ruffle back. You like that one? I do okay. like it. The Ruffle back, all right? <laughs> this Ruffle back platoon, in theory, is a very productive baseball player. He is. Here's the problem, <laughs> okay? Because it's sometimes it's not as simple as you think, and Buck's going to be tested. But, hey, if there's a manager that's going to have to kind of lean into the aspect of a platoon team, why not have it be Buck Showalter? I mean, why not him? But let's take the Atlanta Braves. Let's take the fact that Max Freed starts a game. Or really anybody, Ian Anderson starts a game. And so Max Freed's on the mound, so you're starting Darren Ruff. It makes complete sense. Now there's a righty on the mound. Colin McHugh comes into pitch, and you send up Vogelbach. And then two innings later, or three innings later, when Vogelbach is going to have his fourth at-bat, here's A.J. Minter. You see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you've got to decide when you're pressing that button because teams with competent bullpens like Atlanta, who has Dylan Lee, who's had a great year from the left side, Tyler Matzik, A.J. Minter, and then from the right side, Rossiel Iglesias now, Kenley Jansen, Colin McHugh. Braves have a really good bullpen. They've got a bullpen with versatility. they got a bullpen that has depth of lefties and righties. You run into a little bit of an issue because, again, I laid out how these two guys combine. Hell of a player. No one could argue that. Rough against lefties, Vogelbach against righties. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Except, a lot of teams aren't getting eight innings from their starting pitching. So when the Atlanta Braves start Spencer Strider and you start Vogelbach, but then in the fifth inning, he's facing A.J. Minter, and now he's out for Darren Ruff. But then in the eighth inning, here comes Kenley Jansen or Rossiel Iglesias. What are you going to do? Now, the Mets are becoming a team in which their bench is really, really relevant. Now, you could say, well, that's why Tyler Naquin is there. I don't think that's why James McCann is there. 
Maybe that's why Eduardo Escobar is there. But you're also going to use those pieces to potentially pinch hit for your catcher, even though Buck Showalter hasn't done that a lot, whether it was two weeks ago with not using Jeff McNeil and then giving me and Craig mysterious reasons why he didn't, basically saying, I can't tell you why I didn't, but trust me, there's good reason why I didn't. Okay, Buck. I actually believe him, by the way. I don't know what the reason is, but the tone on how he said it made me think, okay, there was something going on. I don't know what it is. Let's not pry. Fine. We'll deal with this later. But then the other day, when Tomas Nitto came up in the Jacob deGrom game, and there's first and second nobody out, down by three runs, to me, use a bullet, try to hit a three-run home run. But you only have four guys on your bench. So if you're using the DH where you're going to pinch hit maybe twice, depending on the matchup, do you have enough spots to pinch hit for your catcher who ain't a great offensive player? And again, I mentioned this last time. I Maybe I'll be proven wrong on this. As Even though Alvarez is figuring out AAA pitching, and I don't think there's any question Francisco Alvarez can hit. I don't. I don't know if they're calling him up to catch. Because right now it doesn't fit at DH. Based on the move for Ruff, based on Vogelbach, it doesn't fit. It fit a month ago, doesn't fit now. Would they actually have the balls to call up Francisco Alvarez and say, you're going to catch? Because right now, unlike a few weeks ago, where I was big on call him up and let him DH, he only fits as a catcher. You don't really fit as a DH right now based on what they gave up for Darren Ruff and based on Vogelbach's production. If, 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 if McCann or Nito get injured Mm -hmm. and they're out for any significant time, I think at that point in time they have to make the call to Alvarez and skip with the Mazika nonsense, like or but, Perez. But they, okay, but they haven't because James McCann just missed a bunch of time, and they did give you the Mazika nonsense. But they gave you Mazika as a backup. Let's face it, Tomas Nito has been the everyday catcher for the most part. So, what makes you think that's going to change, considering? They just gave you the Mazika thing for the last couple of weeks. Well, because Alvarez is now actually hitting in AAA. They, before, when he first yeah. got called up, he wasn't. Now he's actually... F- he hit another bomb today, right? Yeah. No, no, no. He's hitting. No, he did hit a bomb on uh, Wednesday. Absolutely. I don't. I think he can hit. I, I, I think you and I both thought he could hit a month ago. The thing I was skeptical about a month ago, and I'm going to remain skeptical until the Mets do something different, is that are they going to trust him to catch? Not trust him to hit. Are they going to trust him to be the catcher in a veteran rotation with Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker? That is the definition of a veteran rotation. And look, Chris Bassett was great in the Wednesday afternoon game against the Nationals, which I'll get to in a second. He throws 85 different pitches. (laughs) Can Alvarez handle that? I don't know. I don't know. And maybe you call him up, and you usually don't do this with a prospect because you want him to play. But maybe you call him up as the big bullet. I mentioned, you want to start Tomas Nito, who I like defensively? Fine. There's going to be a moment in the game in which you take his ass out for a big bat. Maybe the big bat is Alvarez, but you are you got to figure out the amount of spots on your bench. I mean, how many guys can you afford? First of all, you have a four-man bench, essentially, in Major League Baseball. Now, there's no rule. You can carry one less pitcher. I understand that. And go loaded on the bench, which the Mets may be made up to do. 
based on the fact that they've got a rotation that goes deep in games and the fact that they are a platoon team where they need more bats off their bench. This isn't the National League anymore with the pitcher hitting, but the Mets need pinch hitters because the DH is a platoon. You want to pinch hit your everyday catcher because he ain't much of a hitter. You may even want to pinch hit your third baseman. Luis Guillerme starting at third base. I think he's going to start a lot. You may match up late in the game, say, I don't want Luis Guillerme facing A.J. Minter in a big spot. So a lot of teams wouldn't do it. The Mets may be set up to actually carry one less pitcher and one more extra guy on their bench. But is Alvarez called up to do that, to be the big bullet off the bench and catch once a week? If you... See, here's the thing is, you might as well give him an opportunity now so you could figure that out so that in the September, in September, when they're in that playoff race and every game, because every game counts, you can't give away any game right now. But do it now. See if it can work. He's And listen, he's caught Scherzer. He's caught DeGrom. He's caught ah, come on, that doesn't count. I, I know, but it does count. It, it has to count a little bit. There's got to be some experience I don't know. There. I don't know. A lot of minor league catchers get to catch veteran pitchers and rehab starts. I think we're all just hoping that Francisco Alvarez caught Jacob DeGrom and Jacob DeGrom fell in love. I think that's what we're all hoping for. But we'll see. It'll be interesting as the next few weeks go on.